Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening out there, college basketball listeners. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Mike and I will be bringing you and continue to bring you the team preview series from the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Gus Kearns here with you, bringing it straight ahead. We were lucky enough to talk to Alex Abrone from the BurlingtonFreePress.com. You can follow Alex at A-A-B-R-A-M-I-5. He covers the Vermont Catamounts for the Burlington Free Press. We were lucky enough to talk about their undefeated season in the America East last year. We were lucky enough to talk about uh, some of the contenders that Vermont will have to face in the America East this particular season. And he gave us a rundown, like no other rundown you're going to find on how the Catamounts just might do this year and a little reflection upon last year. So uh, let's get right into that conversation with Alex Abromi from the Burlington Free Press. He was fantastic. All right, Screen the Screener listener podcast listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Team Series Preview we have going. And today we got a special treat. We got Alex Abrami from the BurlingtonFreePress.com to go ahead and give us an insight on the Vermont Catamounts. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gus. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you can find Alex on Twitter as well at A-A-B-R-A-M-I-5 if you want to follow some Catamount insight and follow what Alex is up to with the Burlington Free Press. Alex, the Catamounts had an amazing year last year in the American East, undefeated in conference, made the tournament, played a great game against Purdue. But I think we need to start with some of their players. Do you think that you can uh, talk to us a tiny bit about last year's freshman of the year in the conference, uh, sophomore this year, Anthony Lamb? Yeah, I mean, he's he's quite the specimen. He had a great freshman year. Uh, as you mentioned, he was the conference rookie of the year. And he really, he played his best basketball down the stretch, which is something, you know, you, you're not quite sure what you're going to get out of a freshman. I mean, he, he was certainly highly touted coming out of Rochester, New York, um, when he signed with, with Vermont. Uh, and he had some, he had some, as you would expect from a freshman, he had some struggles early on in November and December. I mean, he, the first game of the year against Quinnipiac, he had a great game uh, with a double-double, but like he had some moments where like he'd get into foul trouble, he'd shoot too many threes early in the season, but that's stuff you expect from, from a freshman, not playing at a high level just yet. But then once he found, he found something in, in the late, later stages of the season in, in league play, and then he just took off. I mean, he was pretty, he was for the most part unstoppable down the stretch and then in the America's Conference playoffs. Of course, he was the MVP of the tournament. And then he starts hitting all these outside threes, all these three-pointers. Really, really, I mean, he has a pretty good stroke from there. And I think, you know, I doubt he'll hit the threes at that rate over the right. course of a season. But he has that ability where for teams, like, how do you stop that? You have to try to stop him from hitting threes. And then he also, he's very tough inside. He, he, he's got a pretty high motor. He keeps working hard inside to get baskets, to get rebounds. And then he has this nice touch from the outside. So he's, he's kind of got the complete package for the America East. And that, and that's what you saw uh, even against uh, Purdue's front court uh, with yeah. some guys that are, you know, NBA bound. 
That was pretty impressive. Just to go back to what you're talking about with his three-point shot. I mean, I don't think he hit a three early in the season. And then he put on this unbelievable change of characteristics in the second half of the season, like you mentioned, towards the end of the season, and started hitting his threes at over a 40% clip. So you love seeing that from a freshman, like the development in their game. He obviously went back into like the think tank and got back in the gym and worked on that and said like, okay, I'm not touching this shot again until it's right. And then when it was right, man, he unveiled that thing and it became a really big weapon for him. You know, he reminds me of, he reminds me of like Monzi Coulson. Yeah. Give us like a little fortune teller here. How big will his next step be as a player? Do you think he's going to make a gigantic jump or do you feel like he'll be plateaued, but maybe with a little bit more efficiency? Uh, maybe, maybe plateau a little bit. He'll get better. Um, I just yeah. think in UVM's offense and really their philosophy, it's not one player. Mm-hmm. He's a great talent and you're going to want him to be, I mean, he's going to be, he's the conference favorite for player of the year, I think, in my opinion, coming into the year. Okay. So like he's going to get a, he's going to garner a lot of attention and he's going to have big nights, but I just think the way John Becker runs his program, it's not ever about one guy. It's going to be multiple guys. Um, I mean, even look like Lamb led the team in scoring at 12 and a half points. That's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not even a lot when you right, look at right. it, but they have three or four or five guys who can, who can average double figures year in and year out. But he's still, I mean, just as a player, he, yeah, he's going to get better. The, the, the layout of the offensive blueprint that you, you know, presented there reminds me exactly of Wichita State. Like they're not going to have that giant score, but they are going to have a whole bunch of people that are going to contribute and be really efficient. So you're not going to have that like, wow, that's an eye-popping 20-point-a-game 20 score, but you will have, like you mentioned, like Lamb, Trey Bell Haynes, and everybody, are, you know, 13 12, 11 points per game. Yeah, and that's been pretty effective for the program for many years now under Becker. And uh, I think they'll, they'll stay with it, but that's not to say Lamb's gonna, not going to get better and become more of a force and, you know, maybe average a double-double. I mean, that's that's certainly within his uh, capabilities. That that seems like a, a logical progression for his game, and I don't think that's a, a outlandish prediction at all. Alex, one, the player of the year in the conference Catamount point guard Trey Bell Haynes is, you know, he's a senior. You've got to love senior guards in NCAA basketball play, especially in the postseason in March. Uh, he's one of the best players from Canada, and his change of gears is super special. Is he one of the best point guards just in the conference, or is he one of the best point guards on the East Coast, or is he one of the best point guards in the country that nobody knows about? Do you think you can talk about his impact since you see him, like, all the time? Yeah. I mean, I don't know where he'd rank in the nation, but I kind of like that, you know, he's one of the best point guards in the East coast. He has a lot of experience. I mean, he's been the point guard since his freshman year, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, what, like his change of pace is really amazing. And he's so quick in the open floor and he, and he, but what I like over the last year or year and a half or so is his leadership. He's kind of he, like, he's, he's driving the whole team. He's driving the bus, even on a team with, all these options offensively and, and all these, you know, upperclassmen, like he's been the guy running the show. And I think you need that out of your, out of your point guard. And you saw that all throughout last year. And, and really like last year, like we go back to 2016 when they lost in the championship game to Stony Brook and they blew that second right. half lead. It was 12 or 13 points and they lost on the road. And that okay. really stuck with them. It's kind of cliche. But like that motivated them throughout all last year, and that's what you saw come up time and time again. And they just they never then in conference they never lost. Obviously they went sixteen and zero, and then nineteen and zero if you count the the league playoff games. So that really drove them last year, and he and he was a big part of that. I think a big reason why they were able to do that because of his 
his leadership. And then on the court, like he's not going to beat you with with his um, his mid range game. I mean, he he can't hit an open shot if you leave him open and stuff. But I mean, his his game is really driving to the hoop and running the offense. You saw that in the championship game against Albany. He he set up yeah. Henson for that big and one uh, on that drive on that kick out from I think the baseline, and Henson right. finished with the and one, and and that's something he did you know throughout you know he's done that all through his career but especially last year and I think that's that's his biggest biggest asset at least on the court besides his leadership and his his speed and his up tempo pace is you know able to drive to the hoop and and set up his teammates. Yeah, that I feel like his shiftiness and his change of gears is really special and and like kind of next level. That's what really sets him apart as a point guard. It was a cool little uh, insight into the uh, championship game. Just to talk about that really quickly, I thought it was pretty amazing that the Catamounts were able to win that game against Albany in the championship game with Lamb going two for 12. So that speaks to some of the other players that uh, had to step up like Trey Bell Haynes. And the Catamounts have a a fifth-year senior, Peyton Henson. What does Peyton Henson bring to the table? Do you think that his leadership along with Bell Haynes' leadership is a big factor. What kind of role does he have uh, on the practice floor and in the locker room? And just talk about the influence that a fifth-year senior can have on a program and on a team. Yeah, no, he, he's like, you could, if you want to pull, like, who the player of the year candidates are, like, he's one of them. Like, Vermont, in a way, has got, like, three guys who can, one of them can emerge as the player of the year this year. I was going to say, you throw in, like, Jarius Lyles from UMBC, too, in that you know, in that mix. But oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. fact that... throw in, like, the Albany guys, Cremo and, and Nichols. Uh, of course. Great backcourt. But what I like about Henson is he can hit threes, he can hit outside mid-range stuff, and then he can work it in the post. And he can run the, he can run the floor. So he's a pretty versatile big guy. Uh, big guy, I mean, being relative, I mean, he's still only 6'8", six, six, but that's right. that's pretty big in the in America East. But, yeah, he can run the floor. And I, I like his steady leadership. I mean, he, he can get vocal and stuff but i think it's more leader by example and then when he does speak up i think people pay attention that's and they, uh, yeah you said fifth year senior he transferred in from tulane so this is really only his second year of eligibility with uvm third year with the program but like he's he's a big piece of their front court yeah he's a nice compliment for lamb to play alongside down there and kind of probably the the, the perfect pivot post uh position player to compliment lamb yeah i i, I love him too i think he's totally underrated um, you mentioned leadership. I think we got to talk about Co- uh, Coach John Becker. I mean, the fact that they were 16-0 and after losing the championship game in conference last year. He got some sniffs and looked around at some other positions, coaching positions, but he decided to stay in Vermont. Talk about like the vibe and the char- what sets him apart characteristic-wise as a coach and what makes him really special, because it's really hard to go undefeated in conference. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, they, they kind of – like they obviously downplayed it because they don't want it to – you know, engulf their season too much, but it was something they couldn't avoid once it got to, you know, eight and oh, ten and oh, twelve and oh, and then keep it kept on going. But I think it's I, I think John Becker's ability to adapt, I think, is somewhat underrated. Um I kinda I've done a couple of stories about that, how like he he's changed his offense. They used to do a flex back when they won in his first year, um in twenty twelve when they went to the big dance. They did a and now they do a ball screen motion. Um, he's tweaked his defense. I mean, he's always been, uh, they're still really man, man to man, but he's kind of tweaked it here and there and, and thrown some zone and some other type of coverages in the last year, year and a half or so, because they kind of had, they kind of hit snag defensively um, in the 2015, 2016 season. 
and they gave up a lot of points on the defensive end. It was kind of alarming what was going on. Part of that was like some chemistry issues and some other okay. things. And a lot of it had to do with they didn't have the right roster. They didn't have enough people in the front court, enough front court depth. But that's that's you know that's ancient history. They were phenomenal last year defensively. They only gave up 62 points a game. So they got back to their defensive. I mean, that's their, their program pride right there is their defense um, and rebounding. So they got back to that last year. And that's really when you when you look back at the championship game, you could talk about Kurt Steidel's threes and, and Henson's and one right. and, and those things. But like really, they held Albany to almost nothing in the last 8:45 of that game. Um, and so that defense won that championship when on a night where or an afternoon where like no one was really scoring. To get back to Becker, I think it's his ability to adapt. I mean, he can be like any coach. You can be stuck in your ways, and you can not want to not want to make changes. But he he has over the course of his six, and, and now he's in his seventh year. And even recruiting wise, you know, they early on, and even back in Mike Lonergan's tenure, and Becker was on that staff. They recruited heavily in the Northeast and, and the East Coast, and and then John, uh, I guess three, I guess this senior class or this junior senior class, they went outward to the Midwest and even as far as Vancouver when they got Drew Urquhart. So right. They kind of they kind of str- stretched their recruiting pool a little bit um, and got some guys in the Midwest. Got those, you know, they have so many indie indie guys on the roster they have over the last few years. So that's kind of changed how they've recruited and stuff like that. And it, and things have worked worked out. It, they've always been good. It just took five years to win again, which is as as we know in a Woodbin conference, it's it's it comes down to basically you know a conference tournament to get into the big dance. So they've always been good. They've they've been at the top. They've won. 20 or more games now, it's eight or nine years in a row. I feel like yeah. it's nine. So they're always right there. And I think Becker continuing the tradition or continuing the success that Tom Brennan left in 05 and then Monaghan continued. Becker's done the same. And and they're really, they're reaching another level now. Now they're going toe-to-toe to Purdue in the tournament. They played Butler really tough at Butler back in uh, last December, which was their right. last loss before the Butler game when they reeled off. Which is which is row, crazy so if like, you think about it. Yeah, that's insane that that was the last game that they lost up until the Purdue game in the tournament. That was absolutely ama- an amazing run by them. I was going to say, I didn't really cover a loss last year because I didn't, we don't travel with the team unless it's like the conference tournament or something or the NCAA tournament. So I didn't really cover any losses after the Purdue game so, or after the um the Butler After game, the Butler home game. from that. What a, what a ride for you guys. That's amazing. The Catamounts, that, that, that's providing some good vibes for you. Hey, you mentioned Coach Brennan real fast. Do you yeah. have any uh, insight on, I, I saw that they were renaming the court in yeah. his honor. Uh, do you want to give us like a, you know, a little tidbit, two minute insider on that, of the ceremony that might be upcoming or how that uh, developed and unfolded? Yeah. So um, they're going to rename the court uh, in a dedication before the December 11th game against Siena. Okay. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be Tom Brennan court at Patrick gymnasium. Now this has been in the works, I think for a, a few years and they finally got enough donor money. So like, so a million dollars was donated toward the university and toward, you know, trying to build a new arena. Sure. Um, and so with that, once that donor money came through, you know, they announced that it would be renamed Tom Brennan court. Um, and, and, you know, Tom Brennan, you know, beloved coach, there's not anyone around here who doesn't love Tom Brennan. He, he was, uh, you know, kind of a media darling back uh, in during the, um, the Catamounts early NCAA days. Always a great, great quote. And, you know, he still, he goes to every, when he can't, pretty much every UVM home game, he sits near the UVM bench. Uh, they, they, you know, they don't have, we could talk about the gym later, but they don't, they, they don't right. have, you know, it's just like a glorified high school gym. 
So, like, he's on the baseline and there's a wall behind him. So it's not anything spectacular. But, like, he's right there on the floor cheering on his Catamounts every, pretty much every home game. And then he still uh, he has a strong relationship with, with Becker and, and with, still with the team. So he's still a big part of the team, even as a coach that's been retired for 12 years. Yeah, that I mean, I, I can still remember that team that where they hit the giant three against Syracuse and um, Coppenrath. I mean, that team was like iconic almost as one of your beautiful, perfect, like perfectly scripted March Madness Cinderella's. That was a, an amazing run by them. I can still remember him hitting that shot from way downtown. Uh, Sorenstein, yeah. what what a gutsy shot. And I guess I guess the next question. How, how is this team going to handle coming into the season 16-0 and 0 with that target on their back, like every night in the America East? Are, are other teams going to, like, you know, circle the game against the Catamounts on their calendar as saying, like, okay, we're going to beat this team, we're going to defeat this, we're going to beat the defending champions? How do you think, like, the Catamount squad will handle that target on their back the entire season? And are they equipped to do it? Yeah, I think they're equipped to do it. They return... It, they have an interesting roster. They re, they return three starters and they return several others, and then they have four new freshmen, and then they have some transfers or red shirts that are now eligible. So like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of new players uh, eligible to play this year. But I, they have they certainly have the talent. You know, you, you can't make you can't. It's hard to make bulk proclamations about going undefeated again because that, you know, that stuff doesn't really happen too often. But I think they're ready to handle that pressure because I think at UVM, even though in in recent years, they weren't the defending champs. You know, I think conference foes always know it's a tough game against UVM. So UVM's always circled on everyone's calendar in the conference anyway. You know, now they're going into these games, you know, maybe with extra motivation because they, I mean, other opponents going into these games because they hadn't beaten Vermont all last year. And that might drive right. them. And then UVM's going to have to be on a different mental edge for all these games uh, this upcoming year. I think a lot of it has to do with their, with their defense because they lost two key seniors that were a big part of their defensive effort last year. And I think finding, you know, the right rotations and finding the right combinations, I think it will be important during the non-conference play. Well, defense always travels. So if the, they have their defensive lineup set, I'm sure it'll travel on the road. You, you touched on uh, the atmosphere at a Patrick gym in Burlington. It seems really unique. Just give us like a little uh, thumbnail sketch of the vibe of the home arena and what the student section brings. And you, and you mentioned Coach Brennan is right down there on the floor. What what is, what is an opposing team getting themselves into when they enter Patrick Gym? So like I mentioned, like the gym, it's it's like a glorified high school gym. It's sit, it's seats at capacity. It seats thirty two hundred thirty two six six officially. So you got you got bleachers on either side of the sidelines, and they go up pretty high. And so you're like the player. So the fans are like right on the court. Um, where it's close up, so like it can get really loud in there when it's when it's jam packed. So that that creates a home court advantage. It's nothing in America East. I don't think it's any, there's nothing else like it in terms of that type of atmosphere where the fans are right there. I mean, Stony Brook can really jam pack and stuff like that. And it's, I was there in, in the 16 final. It got really loud in there. But what's interesting about UVM's fan base, it's it kind of skews older, like an older generation. But at the same time. Last year, there was kind of a resurgence in the student base. We were able to get more students to come to games, and they sold out the last five games of the regular se- or la- the last five home games at Patrick Jim counting the Americas tournament. They sold out. That had a lot to do with the undefeated season, but then also the the students started to show up in 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 mass. 
sounds like a really unique setting and something that you're like, if you're looking for like a, a home court advantage and an authentic feel for a mid-major type, uh, a mid-major type home court advantage, like that's exactly it. Uh, and I guess uh, the last thing we'll get you out of here on this, Alex, is um, Catamounts have s- some interesting games on their non-conference schedule. They're going to start off with Kentucky. They're going to travel to Bucknell, to Richmond, to Marquette. Um, they're going to play their uh, usual games with Yale and Harvard. Um, and they're even going to go, uh, they bring in St. Bonnie's and uh, Jalen Adams. Do you feel like, besides the Kentucky game, do you feel like most of those other games are winnable games for the Catamounts during the non-conference? And how important are those games and those opportunities against those, you know, other, I guess, mid-major teams that can the, can the Catamounts take advantage of the scheduling opportunities that they have this particular year? Are they going to be intimidated to go into Rupp and play Kentucky? I don't think they'll be intimidated because they've been, I mean, they haven't played someone like Kentucky in a while. I mean, right. Yeah, they've played Butler and and Purdue, but that's, that's not Kentucky. I mean, they played, they were in Cameron Indoor in 2013, so no one on this roster was, no one on this roster played in that game, obviously. Okay. And of course, they almost beat, they almost beat Duke. It came down to the last second. It was like 91-90 or something like that. I kind of remember that game. Yeah, good memory. Wow. So, but I don't think they'll be intimidated. I think they're they're going to welcome that challenge to play Kentucky, which will have a lot of young players, obviously. Yeah, coming here, they'll have a lot of youth on that roster. And then after beating Yale and Harvard last year, do you think they can repeat that kind of performance and maybe sneak another one of these non-conference wins, whether it be against Marquette or? Bucknell or Richmond or even St. Bonnie's? They could, but like, the thing is, they could also lose all these games. I mean, Becker said this is his toughest non-conference schedule to date in his seven years. You know, they, they had a hard time scheduling home games in the non-conference. They only have three home games in the non-conference, and one of them is uh, Maine Fort Kent, which is like a like a scrimmage. Right. That, that really doesn't even count. It just worked out. That's the way it worked out with, you know, all the Ivy League teams that are on the road this year, basically. But it's a... Like, it, the stretch from November 25th at Yale through December 9th at Northeastern, that's right. five games all on the road. Yale, Richmond, Bucknell, Marquette, and Northeastern. Right, that's a brutal stretch. In the non-conference, it's important to get challenged and, and, and test yourself to get ready for the, for the league play because the league play is what's going to determine if you make NCAA tournament, but they could really improve their stock. I mean, they're already a team that you know, I think people across the country are going to pay attention to throughout the year. Uh, and maybe if they have a similar season to last year, get back, they'll have a better seed than they did with that 13 this past year. Because I think they were better than a 13. I agree with that. I, I think that um, they're slightly underseeded. I'm totally with you on that, Alex. Yeah. So if they get, you know, if they come out of this with a 500 record or, or something like that, I think they'd be, I think they'd be pretty happy with that. But it's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, and they have to go to the Bahamas for that showcase, which I'm sure they're going to like anyway because they get to be on the beach. But Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with a little change of scenery preseason. I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, Alex, thank you so much for a few minutes here on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Again, guys, you can follow Alex Abrami at A-A-B-R-A-M-I-5. And you can read all of his Catamount insight at the BurlingtonFreePress.com. Alex, thank you so much for a couple of minutes here and giving us some valuable insight on the America East and Vermont Catamounts. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Gus. Anytime.